welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Pastor Josh asked me to preach, and um, immediately I was drawn to the whole idea of testifying. And uh, in a very, very serious article years ago, I kept this article. It was called From the Ashes. And the article, I'll read just a couple of little excerpts out of this. It says, Treblinka survivor, Adek Balkerstein, and his other Australian Jews are helping Steven Spielberg record the history of the Holocaust. They chose young girls, Adek said, his eyes filling with tears as he recalls in soft, broken English, a horrifying incident in August of 1942. Terrible memories of this crime and many others he witnessed in World War II long haunted Adek, one of, few, one of fewer than 100 survivors from uh, Poland's Treblinka death camp. Adek spent 12 days in Treblinka. Against the odds, he survived and escaped by hiding in the, among the clothes he had loaded into a railway uh, slater and only after eluding the Gestapo, Adek arrived back in Warsaw hoping to be reunited with the rest of his family. But they had disappeared. When he related his experiences to the Jewish council in the ghetto, they refused to believe me, he says. It was too horrible for them to contemplate. I was the first person ever to come back. They thought I was, what I was saying was impossible. Finding friends among from whom, uh, whom he had known before the war, Adek tried to convince them to escape from the ghetto and that, that would be their only hope. All decided to stay, but Hella's father entrusted her to Adek. They slipped out of the back of the ghetto to an Aryan side of the city where for two years they hid in secret rooms and finally under, in an underground bunker living on their to the war and their liberation from the rubble of Warsaw by Russian soldiers. Adek's daughter said, My father is one of the few who survived Treblinka. His testimony is a vital part of what this project's all about. Capturing this material before it's gone forever. Adek went on to say, of course I'm glad to give my story. He said, when I was in Treblinka naked in the compound where the killing machine when the killing machine broke down, they waited, an, a, a, another train arrived and its occupants were stripped and still they waited. That night, 2,000 peoples, doctors, uh, ra- uh, rabbis, thieves, workers, men, women and children, a race, prayed to God to save them with a single voice. They prayed the Shema, a traditional Jewish prayer to God, but there was no answer that day. They were all killed. Some people believe that happened. Others do not. But I saw it. I want people to know that it did happen. This morning, I want to give my testimony. And in doing my that, giving my testimony, I want to give witness to the fact of what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary and the power of the cross to say, deem them, transform them, and that a faithful God is moving in our generation. 
for my text. And just to begin and kick us off, I want to read from 1 John chapter 1 and verses 1 through to 4. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. The cry of, how do you know the Bible is true? How do you know that Jesus Christ can change people's lives? How do you know He can set people free from their sin? And the first thing I want to say to you is our testimony is evidence of God. Every time I hear someone testify about their salvation or God answering their prayer, my heart is filled with joy, just as uh, John writes in that letter, that your joy may be out of hearing people's testimonies. And I hope you have some joy this morning in hearing my testimony of how Jesus Christ set me free from the power of sin. It takes me back, you know, many years and, uh, when I was first saved and I remember hearing people testify of the powerful work of God and, and I remember hearing the stories of these people, how their lives were changed and how I never compared their life to mine but I saw in the way that Jesus moved in their heart. This is something that no one else can, do, uh, can disprove. Our testimony is something that nobody can disprove. In a court of law, physical evidence is presented every day. And there are also what they call testimonies. A witness is called. In the setting of Scripture, the only evidence that the authorities had was people's physical evidence. Today, everybody wants something physical, something to, to, uh, that they can uh, put their hand around. In Scripture, we read the testimony of people that were healed, like the blind man in John chapter 9 who was, birth, uh, who was uh, blind from his birth, and Jesus puts mud in his eye. In the New International Version, it says of John 9, 20, it says, his parents replied, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. That's their testimony. Blind man in the New International Version 9, 25 says, I don't know whether, talking of Jesus, he is a sinner or not. The one thing I know is that I used to be blind and now I can see. They could not disprove that. It was evidence. In 3 John chapter 1, verse 12, Demetrius had a good testimony from all, it says, and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness and know that our testimony is... John says, what I've seen, what I've heard, what I've touched, I'm telling it's true. You know what? We are literally the evidence that Jesus Christ is alive and well today on planet Earth. We are the evidence that Jesus is, and the Bible is the truth. The life-changing power of Jesus Christ that I experienced and I want to share with you this morning is the only ever here. Unless we tell our testimony, nobody else hears that evidence. 
They hear the garbage of the world and the humanism that's constantly put over the media. And we are the testimony. We stand as a testimony in our communities, in our workplace, in our schools, in our society, that Jesus Christ is real. Preach it, evangelist, I am. Chapter 3 and verse 33 says, He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. Last week, Pastor Josh preached a great sermon from the last part of Galatians chapter 6 to finish off our series. And in the New Living Translation, it says of verse 14 and verse 15, it says, As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. My interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. The world's not interested in me. Guess what? I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a famous man. Hallelujah. And I don't want to be. Galatians 6.15 says, It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. This morning, I want to boast about the work of Jesus Christ. I want to boast about God's work born in Sydney. And uh, my father, he, he was uh, 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 one of those guys that used to erect all those coloured neon signs on the top of buildings. And then he, he moved into being a washing machine mechanic. Nothing really noteworthy, my father. He wasn't an educated man. Um, his uh, father had been in the war and he escaped a prison of a war camp. And um, we, uh, we, my mother was just a, 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 a shop assistant for my life. And uh, uh, my sister and my brother, my sister's six years older than me. My brother was uh, six years younger than me. And I, I had no idea what was really transpiring in my family's life. But at the age of six, my parents' marriage broke down. My mum had been very immoral, uh, had, uh, was an alcoholic. Uh, it turned out that all my extended family were immoral on both sides. Messy in those days. It took two years. And uh, my sister, uh, she was just running wild at 12. By the time she was 16, she was pregnant. Um, my brother, he... Uh, he was only three months old when my, when my parents split, so he grew up without a dad. My dad would come over once a week and see us, and um, he'd basically kick my butt for everything that I'd done wrong through the week. Um, one is, is they sent me to a really good school. It was a, a great education school, but it was a great school for my sporting progress. I was a mad sportsman right from the start. I, had, uh, I, have, I have a lot of really good memories about my, my childhood and some really funny stories, but I also have some bad ones. I remember being eight years old and the divorce was really playing uh, havoc in, my, in, in me. And we lived on, a, on the next floor up, uh, flats in Sydney. And I remember being so overcome with just depression about what was happening to my parents. I got out on the windowsill and I wanted to jump and kill myself. And that was eight years old. Fortunately, I had a lot of Catholic theology in me that told me that I'd go to hell straight away. I used to serve on the altar, Catholic church. I used to go to confession every month. Um, uh, used to drink the wine in the back of the, of, the press, of, the, of the church. Whenever we could, we'd get stuck into the wine. 
Uh, I used to like doing weddings because you got paid for doing weddings as an altar boy, just serving on them, so that was pretty cool. I didn't like the funerals, the smelly incense and all that sort of stuff, but I had a religious background. But I used to imagine during the Mass that God used to over the top of the people and come down into the altar because they used to say that God hung out in this little box called the, called the tabernacle at the front of the, front of the church. And I thought, how does he get in there? And I had this religious point of view. And I used to go to confession. And I, bless me, Father, for I have sinned one month since my last, last confession. And these are my sins. I swore 660 old porno magazines from the local news agents. I, and I'd tell him all this stuff. He'd say, oh, Dominus Finiscus, Spiritus Santo, all that sort of stuff. And then, do you want me to do the religious? Dominus Finiscus, Spiritus Santo. Anyway, he'd, he'd then say, go and do, you know, five decades of the rosary and go and do the Stations of the Cross. So I'd go and do all this, Hail Mary, full of grace, of all this with thee, but thou amongst women, the Mary, Mother of God, bless for us sinners down at the hour of our death, amen. I'd do that as quick as I could. And I'd walk around the church and I'd be doing all this sort of stuff, religious works, you know what I'm saying? When I walked out the door, I felt clean. Then I'd go down the road and I'd see my mates, and I did the same things over and over again. And I went on, I was on a merry-go-round, a religious merry-go-round, feeling guilty, going and doing all this stuff, going out and sinning again. Mum was falling asleep at night with cigarettes in her, burning the, the, the uh, because she was drunk and burning the lounge. And, I'm, and my sister's pregnant, and the Catholic priest told her to get an abortion. And and I'm thinking, what is life all about? My head was being, my head was really getting done in. I I made vows at that time. Oh, I'm never going to do drugs. I'm never going to get married if that, if, if that means you're going to divorce and you have kids that don't have parents at home. I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to do that. Mum became even more and more immoral. There were times when I woke up and there'd be a different man in her bed on a Saturday morning, Sunday morning. Mum was just looking for love. My brother became an incredible thief. And uh, mum met a guy by the name of Jim who was a garbologist. He ran behind the garbage trucks and threw tins, garbage tins in the back of the truck. And he, was, he worked for a removalist company. And anyway, Jim, Jim became Jimbo. Jimbo was a good friend. But my brother stole a large amount of money off him. My dad took the opportunity to give him to me. So he left. My sister left because she had the baby, started living with her boyfriend and eventually married him. She was married at 17 and, 17 and 11 months. They got a court order to say that it was all right. 1974, Jim, who's now got a relationship with my mum, he got a job in a mining company in town which was 600 kilometres east of Darwin. Mum was really upset, but she let him go. We struggled, didn't have enough money. I, I was doing a paper run, trying to earn enough money to help her as well after school. Mum was just drinking it away. 
A year later, Jim says, why don't you come up and live with me in, Dow- in, in Gove, this place called Gove. Up in- to do that, I was born Brett Smith, by the way. Some of you might know my testimony or parts of it. I'm sorry if I repeat it, but I was born Brett Smith and to start this new life of me and mum going up and living in this new mining town, I had to change my name so that the mining company would pay for my airfare to Brett Gaffney. So I started a new life. I was still still struggling with my sin. Even though I changed my identity, I was still the same person. I started a new life and I saw my mum and my stepfather because they got married go on a drinking binges all the time. Immorality became more and more a part of my life. As I, something in my life that I could hold on to. The only best thing about my life was I love sport. I just gave myself to sport. I had a lot of baggage. I became more and more selfish, more and more proud of my sporting, and I was really good at lying. But one of the worst things was I was angry. I was angry at Dad. I was angry at a lot of people. And I loved getting in the boxing ring and smashing somebody else. Not today, so don't panic. I haven't got anger issues today, so... I just, uh, there was so much baggage and so I was so angry. And I, so one time I go down to see my dad. My dad made a mockery of me and called me king of the kids and mocked how much money I had. And I got so angry with him. I went home to my mum and Jim and I said, I'm going to change my name legally. So I changed it legally to hurt my dad, which gave me more problems. Because now... I hurt the man who had for years, and I never realized it provided for me and helped me in ways I had never even understood. Mum's drinking got worse. Jim's temper got worse. One time we are in the backyard. Jim's wanting to punch me out. I punched him. He punched me back. Just anger, fighting, immorality, all this sorts of stuff. Some of you had nothing like this lifestyle, but can I just tell you the common thing is sin binds you up. Sin becomes a destructive factor. I was sinful. I was struggling with my whole life and I had no answers. The Catholic Church weren't giving me answers. The religious activity weren't giving me answers. I didn't want drugs, didn't want alcohol. The immorality wasn't, sport wasn't really giving me any answers. So at 17, I met my wife. She was at school. She was only 14. She walked past the home economics room and I said, va, 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 vum. And just like Samson, I was smitten with desire. I'd pick her up early in the morning for school, carry her bag to school, take her back, carry her bag home. I became part of the family. And then all of a sudden, Joe's mum, who had been religious herself for so many years, born again. Powerful transformation in her life. All of a sudden, these jack chick tracks started appearing around the house about Jesus and how to get set free from sin. Jo herself asked Jesus to come into her heart after about a year, I suppose, we'd been dating, maybe it was less. 
But that was really stifling to my lust. It was really stifling to my life. I didn't like that at all. She, went, she had to go to boarding school to get away from me, as well as the education in Gove was not real good. So she went to boarding school. So I'd ring her up. I'd send her flowers. I was so smothering. I was so possessive. I didn't want to lose her. And... Um, so, and I, I started to even think, contemplate all this thing about the gospel. I've got to move quick. I'm running out of time. So Joe stayed a Christian. She went along to an assembly of God church while she was at boarding school. But eventually she backslid from being a Christian. Her family moved to Brisbane. They started attending John Lewis's church at Northside Christian Family. She still didn't want to become a Christian. She was in an immoral relationship down there. I moved to Darwin at the age of 19 when her family moved, out of, uh, moved to Brisbane. I was on my own, but the move wasn't good. I became, but now I started to drink more than anything. I started to dabble in drugs. The promises I'd made to myself that I wouldn't do these things, I broke. And the religious stuff didn't, didn't, didn't uh, I turned up one, one time uh, in Darwin drunk at, to a midnight mass for Christmas. No respect for the things of God. While I was in Darwin, he wanted to start a serious relationship with me. So I rang Joe up and said, is there any hope for us? As I rang her up, she'd just gone through a real tragedy in her life, a major event. I said, I'll be down there. I flew down to Brisbane, I picked her up, she was 18 years of age and she left home, came up and lived in Darwin with me, broke her parents' heart. Six months later, eight months later, we got married. She was only 18, I was 21. And uh, we just partied hard. Went to Cold Chisel con concerts and got drunk as skunks and did all sorts of stuff. Uh, I threatened every one of my mates, don't let her near any drugs because she would just take as many drugs as she could, try anything. So our life was spiralling in all sorts of directions, but in the back of our mind was the idea about Jesus and her parents and what her parents had told us. And so we, we turned up at an AOG church in Darwin and, and, uh, and uh, we, we listened to the sermon and, and everything and I thought, oh, we can't, we, we can't become Christians. We'll have to, we'll have, we'll have to stop living together because I was bound by lust. I was bound by sin. Still couldn't get free because I wasn't, I wasn't prepared to get free. I wasn't low enough. So we got married. Joe's parents didn't want to come to the wedding. Believe it was God. Huge rift between me and my father because I changed my name. I didn't speak to him for 14 years. He didn't speak to me. Huge rift between Joe's parents. Our lives were in a mess. But God was maneuvering behind the scenes. God's faithful. He maneuvers behind the scenes. This is all a part of my journey to salvation. Joe's boss is a born-again believer and invites her along to see it at the Salvation Army. So we go along and see Joni's testimony. Still, I wouldn't get saved. Stubborn as. Couldn't see the light of day. Then we're, at, um, we're smoking dope one night, been boozing all day. We're talking to some folks, another couple, and they start talking about how their family, this girl's family are born again believers. And we say, yeah, we're going to accept Jesus one day. <laughs> Off our faces. Bound by sin. 
I was in so much debt. We got married. We turned up at uh, at a car park in in uh, in the shopping centre one night and um, uh, Thursday night. And uh, there's there's a bunch of people with guitars, and it's a Christian outreach, right? The local Four Square Church had gone to Angeles, take them out of church, and they went down to a local shopping centre, started singing songs, and guess where they guess where they were when we were in, when we came out of the shopping centre, right around my car. Hey man, Jesus loves you. Oh yeah, right Here, come along to church. Give your life to Jesus. Repent of your sin. Oh, I don't know, man. I don't know. Trying to get in the car, getting in the car. They're on the windscreen. Jesus loves you, man. <laughs> they were they were over the top. I've never seen anybody excited about Jesus like these guys. So that Christmas we went. We 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 just we still didn't go to church, by the way. But we decided to go and patch things up with Joe's parents. We flew down to Joe's parents for Christmas. We go to church with them. John Lewis gives an impassioned plea for salvation, but stubborn old gaff sits there and won't on his. We go back to Darwin, patch things up with Joe's parents. It was really good. Joe suspected she was pregnant when we got back to Darwin. Yet was confirmed she's pregnant. She's. She's 19 years of age. We're in debt over our heads. I lost, I'd had three serious incidents with my knee, my right knee. Had to have a full knee reconstruction. Sport was taken out of it. Drugs, alcohol, all sorts of stuff. Joe's mum said to her, you're never going to stop me telling my grandchildren about Jesus. They were praying. And they were praying up a storm. Where's you better put that photo up? Foul mouthed. That's my criminal photo. That's what I tell everybody. It was actually a passport photo. It's me. The eyes are the window of the soul. I'm in big trouble there. That's a week before we walked into the church. What prompted it was the night before, uh, two nights before we went to church, I'd been drinking with some mates. Joe couldn't drink. She's pregnant. And I uh, come up out of our house, uh, our flat. We were living with other friends. And I moved up into the house. Uh, we moved into their house. And I came up and I was drunk as a skunk. And she said, something's got to change. And I could tell by the tone of her voice that she was very serious. <laughs> She wasn't happy. Our marriage was built on a faulty foundation. Our lives were bound by sin. There was no hope. I said, yeah, yeah, sure. I said, why don't we go to that church where those crazy Christians are? And part of the reason was they were all young. They were all 20s. She said, you serious? I said, yeah. So we, that Saturday we went and found a church. It was a four-square church in Casarina. We, we, we saw the service time. The next day, I get up. She says, you're serious? And I put some shorts on. I had big Harry Bottler shorts, a pair of thongs, had a singlet on. You know, you can't see the earrings. I had a stack of earrings in my ear, and I was like, hey, well, let's go see this church. 
I go there, they're excited for Jesus. They're clapping, they're worshiping. There was these guys that were big, muscly guys on the front row that were new converts, had just given their life to Christ, and they're clapping up a storm, and, and people are praising God, and people are doing all sorts of crazy. I expected chandeliers. There was no chandeliers, but they were doing stuff like that. They were all over the joint. And so the, the sermon, I cannot remember a word, but I remember at the end, your life is bound by sin and you got no hope. You need Jesus. Up went their hand. I gave my life to Christ that day, March the 13th, 1983. It was a long road to that place. Stubborn. You know what? That's my life. I went home that day. Those guys are looking at me and they're saying, the people we're living with, what's going on with you? And I said, why? They said, you haven't, you haven't cursed in about, you've been home two hours, you haven't cursed once. And they said, and I, immediately there was a change in my life. I felt the freedom before of forgiveness of sin, but I'd never felt the, uh, uh, sorry, the forgiveness of sin and being clean, being totally set free of sin. All of a sudden, my desires started changing. And on the inside of me, I changed. The road to salvation was fantastic, but the road to transformation, or the road of transformation, I'm still on it. But can I tell you, he took away the big bricks straight away, all the big rocks, he took them out of the way. The anger took about three years, but oh, I used to go from zero to 100. But God dealt with that. He's still dealing with some things in my life, but I tell you, I got transformed. He's been faithful to transform me. Our marriage took five years of counselling. It wasn't just an easy fix. It was built on a faulty foundation. He had to change the whole foundation. New Living Translation of Philippians chapter 2, verses, uh, verse 13 says, In you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. That's what God does. Next week, we went on a Bali holiday. Guess what? There were drugs everywhere. There was drinking everywhere. And for a whole nine days, I held out. Then Joe was, because she was pregnant, she couldn't go out one night, and the boys asked me out, so I went out. Got drunk as a skunk. Fell. Went, went, to, went to the toilet the next morning, pulled out the pocket New Testament, the Gideon Bible, thank God for the Gideons. I got given that in grade 11 and I never let go of it. And I pulled it out and I was just flicking through it. And it says, no drunkard will ever go into heaven. <laughs> On a Bali beach, Kuta Beach that afternoon, Joe and I, it's either all in or not at all. So we jumped in boots and all. Coming from a background where my mum was an alcoholic and then breaking my promise of getting involved in alcohol and drugs and everything. I hate alcohol. I hate what it does to families. I, I haven't touched a beer or any alcohol in 37. That's what I call transformation. I don't need that garbage anymore. I've got Jesus. 
He's everything inside of me and that's all I need. I don't need the drugs. I don't need the, the sporting prowess. I don't need the, all the things that the world offers. I have Jesus and that is enough for me. That transformation has been long-term and it's not going to change. My kids, God bless them all. People at work don't believe me. They've never heard me swear either, but they just don't believe that I could go for so long without cursing and swearing. That's the power of my testimony. God is a transforming God. He's a faithful God. He has never let us down. I need to move. So uh, we started going, we were in church three times a week. Um, after about three months, I decided to really get committed to God. I started tithing. I started doing all sorts of things. I started to uh, witness and tell people about Jesus. I couldn't, you couldn't shut me up. I, I, that's why I still do it today. Because he's such a good God. He is such a good God. He's done such a wonderful miracle inside my heart. No one could ever do this inside someone. Only Jesus could do this thing. At the love of Jesus. And I hold fast to this faithful God who has been faithful to me anyway. My dad and I weren't talking and then I'd hear sermons on forgiveness. And what I had to realize is I had to forgive my dad long before he would ever forgive me. 13 years passed. We're in Darwin. We're the assistant pastors. We went into ministry over that period of time. That's another big, long story. But three years after we became Christians and we planted churches, done all sorts of stuff. And my brother, Paul, was getting married in Darwin and we were the assistant pastors. So I shared my testimony with, with, with the church and got them to start praying about my dad. My dad was coming up for the wedding. I walk up to my dad when he comes up for the wedding and uh, I said to my wife and my kids had never met my dad. I walked up to him. I said, hey, dad, how are you? And he looked at me and he says, is that you, Brett? I'm the spitting image of him. Same haircut, the whole thing. Right? I said, yes, dad. He said, and he, he looked down. He said, oh, I don't know. Oh, yeah, I'm, oh, yeah, I'm just glad to be here. Long story short, we come to the, uh, uh, get to the place where we're at the uh, uh, reception. He says, you haven't introduced me to my family. I didn't think he wanted to re meet my family, so I introduced him. By the end of the night, he said, I, uh, uh, we, we made a date for the next day Sizzlers and have a, a family meal. So we went to Sizzlers the next day. My, my brother was still there. He hadn't gone on his honeymoon. And he sends a message. My dad sends a message through my brother. He says, tell your brother to meet me in the toilet. I'm thinking, what's going down, Dad? So I go, get up from the table, go to the toilet, and uh, Dad's there, and he says, he says, don't tell anybody else about this. I've been telling people. And he puts a check for $1,000 in my top pocket and says to me, come around and see me tomorrow at the motel. I said, okay. In between time, we were at a, a barbecue around at the in-law's place, and I'm dishing up some food, and uh, he says, so what made you become a Christian? It's an open door to an evangelist. Hallelujah. <laughs> I said, Spirit gave me the words. I said, Dad, I realized I'd done a lot of things wrong, and I'd hurt a lot of people, and I needed Jesus to forgive me. I took responsibility. 
He said, oh, well, okay, okay. Didn't want me to preach anymore, so he walked away. So we went around to the motel and my stepmother's there, who I always thought she was the Wicked Witch of the West. But she, because I was, I always had an attitude, she took my dad away. She was bad, but she, she, she wasn't bad. It was my perspective, my sin inside of me that made him look bad. Anyway, Dad, dad says, oh, I need to talk to you, son. And I said, okay. So he takes me outside, he says, just want to tell you, uh, I don't know if I'll ever forgive you for changing your name, but you're welcome back into the family. And he forgave me. He did forgive me. Powerful. But it was because of Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ in my life. God's forgiveness is powerful. But when he can transform your life, so you can forgive? That's powerful too. So dad, dad said, you and your family are welcome anytime come visit us. So we went and visited him for months. And uh, ever since then, he's been sending me power tools in the mail and all sorts of stuff. And, and uh, he came over and visited us. And, and, uh, and it was just over 15 months ago, 16 months ago, I went over to, to Sydney. He was on, we all thought he was going to die. And I was able to pray with my dad. And he asked Jesus to become his saviour. Now, Christian. How important is your testimony to your family and your friends? I understand that there are schisms and divisions. The word schism is old, old King James, but it basically means division in relationships. I understand you've got some relationship troubles. But there's an answer in Jesus Christ and the transforming power that Jesus does and the Holy Spirit does in your life. There is an, it's life-giving. Our testimony is life-giving to others and to yourself. To others, to the hearer, it's life-giving. Second Thessalonians 1.10, Here, when he comes in that day, be glorified in the saints and be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. It's life-giving to you because as you confess Jesus before men, he will confess you before his Father. I need to finish. Some will believe our testimony and our experience for themselves. And they'll experience the power of Jesus Christ. It's not up to you to determine who does and who doesn't. It's up to you to just share your testimony. God is faithful. Second Thessalonians 3.3. 3. You haven't got this one, Wes, but I'll read faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. Jesus Christ set me free from the power of sin. I want to ask you today as I finish. Are you bound by sin? Right now, if you had to list something in your life that you'd, want, that you'd love to be free of, that sin that so easily ensnares you, what is it? Today you come to church, but you've never really had a conversion experience like me. Well, some, for some it's dramatic, for others it isn't. But it certainly isn't just by coming to church that you get this type of experience. 
I went to church plenty of times. I heard great preachers. John Lewis is one of the famed preachers of the Assembly of God movement in Queensland. He got home to be with Jesus, but that didn't change my life. His preaching, it was me being willing to believe in Jesus Christ and accept His grace and get off that merry-go-round of works and trying to make it right with God. And the bondage of sin that had me captive for so long. That's why I preach a message to whoever, whoever will listen, that Jesus Christ's soul, the one that sets you free. The Bible says you must be born again. Are you born again? John chapter 3, verse 3. Have you been born again today? If you have not, if you are just a religious attender of church, can I tell you, friend, you're missing out. You're missing out on something that is so powerful, so personal, so unique just for you that Jesus Christ has a plan and purpose and wants He wants you to repent and be free of your sin. I feel so free today. So free. Forgiven. My mum accepted Christ before she died. My dad, who's still alive, thank God, and I talk to him nearly every second week. He's a, he, he doesn't always talk about Jesus, but he accepted Jesus as his Saviour. 85 years of age. Do you have to wait for your life to be falling apart like mine was? We had these people. Pastor Josh told me to tell this story. I better tell it. We were, in, we, were in, we were in Townsville and we were pioneering a church and we were evangelizing on the street. We met up with two people who were bound with drugs and alcohol. And they told me a story that they were so desperate for, for drugs one time, they went out, they found, they heard that if you can get the poison from cane toads and process it, you can get high. So they went out, grabbed a whole heap of cane toads, beat the sniveling daylights out of them until they got the poison out of them and then cooked it up in a soup, then dried it and tried to sniff it to get high. Sin promises lots. Guess what? They said, Pastor, it didn't work. Sin promises everything but delivers nothing. They gave their life to Christ. They began to serve Jesus Christ. They got set free of drugs and alcohol. They got set free of his... He was bad. He was an army boy. He was, he was full, in, full on into the army. He had a real fierce temple too. And he got set free. Sin promises you lots. Do you want to get free of that sin? Or you need to repent and give your life to Jesus Christ? We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.